Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of friends explore movies through trivia. I'm one of these friends, KJ, and with me is... Tom. Would you believe it? Nick is in the building. Or at least Ooh. in the airways. <laughs> Welcome back, Nick. Hopefully you can keep your streak alive. You've won every episode since May. Ah, yes. All right. Uh, That's why I needed to take a little break. <laughs> Get to my head. <laughs> for those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with four rapid-fire trivia questions and possibly a few bonus questions. Audience, feel free to play along from home. The first question is worth one point, and each question after that is worth one more point. Then we'll follow it up with our famous movie rant, Where Anything Goes. Tom, tell us about today's movie. Walking up to theaters in 1963, we would have had to choose between three period dramas. Young Samurai, Cut the Shadow, Five Ronins, and one non-period drama, which is today's movie, High and Low. KJ will be our questionnaire today. KJ, what is High and Low all about? In High and Low, we follow Gondo, who is about to make some moves to take over the National Shoe Company, of which he is an executive director, executive director, floor manager. He's high up there. Just before he's about to make this move, after he's mortgaged everything he owns, every asset is leveraged, he gets a call that his kid has been kidnapped. But then his kid walks in the room. And it turns out it was his kid's friend, Gondo's driver, who was kidnapped. And now Gondo has to decide, is he going to pay the ransom and lose it all? Or is he going to risk having his driver's son die? The rest of the movie, we follow the police and Gondo who are trying to figure out who the kidnapper is, as well as making pretty big moral decisions. Once they find out who the kidnapper is, they want to make sure they catch him in the act. And we follow gorgeous camera work as we're moving through Yokohama into different areas, the dance hall, even the jail cell, the hideout, the apartment, everything looks absolutely gorgeous in this movie audience. It's time for question one. Gondo's wife confuses the driver's son with her own because the driver's son is wearing what? Locked Locked in. in. Nick, what do you have? Cowboy outfit. Tom? Wearing the son's cowboy outfit. Correct. Points for everybody. Starting off pretty easy. Hopefully they're not all too easy. I think easy's high or do you think easy's low? Mm. Maybe it's a little high and low. Easy's high, right? Because it's nice and relaxed. Nice and... (laughs) Oh, jeez. I don't (laughs) know. Stay cool, Tom. Yeah. Yeah. It's time for question two. Apart from black and white, what other color do we see in this film? Locked in. Locked in. What do you got, guys? Red. Like red pinkish thing from the suitcase that burns. It looks more pinkish, right? Doesn't it? Yes, it's very pink. And they distinctly say pink Mm -hmm. multiple times. Oh, what do we do? What do we do? I don't get the point. That's what we do. You know, I think... I think Nick, we're gonna give you the points. You know, it's been a while. I don't want, I don't want the winning streak to, <laughs> to end here. Points for everybody, um, with a little asterisk, I guess. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll we'll do your Joe DiMaggio. Keep it keep it alive for another day. I don't want an asterisk. If I win, I win. 
He's <laughs> the red judge, answer. jury, and executioner right here. And he said it. I even try to walk back from it. It's time for question three. What does Gondo ask his wife for after the inspector explains what two devices are going in the bags? Oh. So what does Gondo ask his wife for after the inspector explains what two devices are going in the bags? I, I'm going to lock in, but I don't have the specifics. I know like the, the genre, so to speak. I'm going to lock in with a guess. Mm-hmm. All right, Nick, what's your guess? Some kind of cutting apparatus. I don't know if it was a scissor or a knife. Tom? I thought it was like a sewing thing to repair that you would use to repair leather or fix a, a leather object. Ooh, you're both right there. Um, I was kind of more or less looking for his tools that he used to make oh. shoes with, which probably mm. included scissors. Sewing, right, right. Yeah, I think <laughs> we're both this, right. Yeah, I think points mm. for everybody or points for nobody either way. Because like the spirit of the question is, it was kind of cool during this they reached back to his like they, mm-hmm. they were trying to show that he was also a you know a blue collar worker at some point and he still has that available and could the use gift. that to help. and it's yep. yeah he's a craftsman and that's what yep. distinguishes him even though the movie's critical of his kind of ruthless businessness a businessman pursuit or whatnot like he's a craftsman and he re- represents and respects really good work that's why he doesn't like their shoes Right. Yes, because they were trying to make something that was cheaper but more profitable. And it's like, Mm -hmm. no, I'm going to take over, but we're still going to make good stuff. (laughs) And even in the end, not to jump to it, I guess if someone watched this, we can assume spoilers. He worked for another company, which may be not as big, but still made quality shoes. And he had freedom in that company, too. What do you think that company was called? The not so national shoe company. Yeah. Well, there's the national shoe. Normally, if there's the national, the shoe regional company, shoe company. The opposite is the American shoe company. But I guess you just call it the Japanese shoe company. <laughs> I think it would have been a regional player. You know, whatever. Do we know what region they were in? I don't know. Yeah, they were in uh, the Kanto region. Mm-hmm. So Kanto shoes. Yeah. Yeah, which is a really good reason to pick, right? Because it's it's um very foreign. Isn't it? A lot of foreigners live in that area. Yeah, in Yokohama. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well, we get into it, audience, but that the, <laughs> the, the dance scene is so cool. But I... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real, actually, real American military in that, because that's where mm-hmm. a lot of them are stationed. It's time for question four. Why did the kidnapper have trouble sleeping? Locked in. Locked in. Guys, if you were asking me and I didn't know, I would say it's because the shoe factory kept him up at night. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that wasn't your answer, Nick. What do you have? No, it wasn't my answer. My, my answer had to do with the weather. I think it was too cold at night and too hot during the day. Tom? You know, he mentions it being too hot in the summer, and he mentions it um, that's why he couldn't sleep, but it's also too cold in the winter. But I think it's really the stress is on the heat. Uh, because Gondo heat has... during the day, I thought. Yeah, Gondo has the air conditioning. That's the thing. Points to Tom. I'm not doing any asterisks uh, this takes time. Takes it down. Yeah, no, no, yeah. No, no. Too cold. I in knew the it winter. was a hot and cold thing. Too hot in the summer, and he would stare up at that palace on top of the hill mm-hmm. and curse it for the comfort that Gondo must be living in. Yeah, I looked up the Japanese statistics in the early 1960s on air conditioning, and. Almost no one has air conditioning. It's so little, it doesn't move the x-axis. 
Wow. There's no, yeah. So for him to have air conditioning, like that is a signifier of money. You know, that's that's a rare thing. I thought it was just like Europe where it's like, we don't have air conditioning. <laughs> I don't know how many people in America had air conditioning, but it was extraordinary. No, I'm talking rare. about today. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Yeah, it's a little crazy there. But yeah, I mean, it. that is like, that's such a, when you realize that, and you see him in that air-conditioned apartment, and you see everybody outside, like, covered in sweat. That's such a signifier yeah. of, of what Kurosawa was trying to do. The house also really does stand out up there on the hill. Like, it's not meant to blend in at all. It's, no. It's, it's, it's eye-catching, but thing. in a bad way. Yeah, exactly. Well, congratulations to Tom, our winner this week, breaking Nick's streak in person. I guess Ooh. I got to run away again. Uh, yeah, who's the pitcher who pitched to Joe DiMaggio on the day that his his hit streak ended? Nobody knows. I'm the only person who Ryan know and I... Nolan. Ryan Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> That's wrong on many ways. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to switch it and then add a bunch of decades. Switch it like Nolan Ryan. Yes. Oh, is it Nolan Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> Well, audience, stay tuned for our beautifully shot and perfectly paced, perfectly paced movie rant coming up right after this break. Join another Talking Studios production, Limited Lexicon, where we play through text-based adventure games. Text-based adventure games were computer games from before computers had graphics. The game uses text to describe a scene, and the player types back how they want to interact with the game. I'll read the text from the computer, and my co-host will feed me commands. This season, we're playing through The Hobbit from 1982 on the ZX Spectrum. Here's a quick sample. I thought uh, a lot about our first command, and I think it should be no print, because we don't want to print things as we're going along. I think by default, it's not going to print. And even <laughs> if I did print, I, where is it going to print to? 1982? <laughs> I would imagine if we go west, we're going to be south of the troll, right? Just south of the troll land. Yeah, let's try it. You go west. The troll's clearing. The visible... Oh, <laughs> we died. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The troll, the troll saw us and killed us. So I think we have to say the answer to the riddle then. The answer is dark. Say dark, I think. Talk to what? Golem. Gollum. Say Gollum dark you talk to Gollum. thorin says hurry up and we died and we died so we went northeast last time so let's go southwest you go southwest visible exits are north northwest you see the valuable golden ring oh we're wow. ending it here that's wait, wait, wait. perfect oh, that's right. perfect limited lexicon Coming to your podcatcher and YouTube in late 2022 by Talking Studios. And we're back. Uh, so we mentioned that gorgeous house on top of the hill, which I think was inspiration for Parasite in the house and out of the house. What did you? How did you guys feel about this incredible symbol of wealth and prestige and... Um, Friviality. Friviality? Friviality. Yeah, that's it. Up there that's on definitely the it, KJ. That's, you got it. <laughs> yeah, frivolousness. You're not frivolous with your words. Go <laughs> in. Yeah, the, the, the comparison to Parasite is interesting. I think Parasite does 
the same thing Kurosawa is is doing. It does it in a more ham-handed way, in a more obvious way. And it's also Parasite doesn't know what genre or what um, style it's going for. Um, Kurosawa's High and Low, it's a, you know right on the, the money with the name, is really influenced by his early Marxist years, something he had left behind by the early 1960s, but was still there. It's also responding to the post-World War II boom, which was still going on in the early 1960s, which Kurosawa had some trouble with. He saw the, the kind of inequality that was coming out of that as a major problem. And it's also a kind of Western invasion type thing that's going on. Selecting the city he did for this, which was a major port city, which was still occupied by many foreigners and many Americans who actually appear in this movie. The people, the Americans we see in this movie are actually servicemen <laughs> living in, in Japan at the time. Um, you, you can see a sort of eroding of some sort of old world way in which Japan had been. Um, and in the center of all of this, the owner of the house is is Gondo, who becomes the the victim and the hero. And he's an interesting character. He's not like the wealthy man in Parasite, who's merely a stereotype of the wealthy. Gondo's a fully fleshed out character. And we see this in the fact that he starts at his company at age 16. He starts as a person who is in manual labor. He's actually making the shoes and other leather products when he starts. And he also has a sort of high quality standard for the work he wants to put out. Um, now that is in contrast with his ruthless business tactics where he's trying to take over the company in a, in a kind of underhanded way. But they all, I don't mean to jump in there, Tom, I'm sorry, but they were all gonna do that just in their own they ways, They were all gonna right? do that, but I think Gondo's more interesting than they because they are almost like fully commercial. They want the cheapest product for less Gondo is a craftsman, but he's also a ruthless businessman. And I feel like he stands at the center of or on the on the fence between a kind of older Japanese sensibility or an older world sensibility of uh, a, a kind of maintaining a certain social structure that is based upon kind of discipline and quality and this new sort of consumerist world, which is all about the cheapest for the least in order to make the most money. Ooh, we're getting close to modernity. We're getting close to no, modernity. No, but I got to jump in here because <laughs> I think the reason I cut Tom off, which I'm sorry I did, Tom. You can cut me off. That's Because <laughs> the word ruthless, in his mind, he's not ruthless. He's a savior of the National Shoe Company. These people are all going to take it down the wrong path. His tactics will allow him to save the company and still create a, a solid quality product. So that's the only thing I wanted to interject it, from his perspective. He's not being, you know, backstabby or anything like that. He thinks this is the right way. These other people are going to destroy the company and I'm going to risk it all and save the quality and integrity of the National Shoe Company. Sure. And of course, I, then I'm going to run it. <laughs> yeah, sure. I, I mean, I think there's something in there. Right. And I, I agree with you. And I think that's I agree with you kind of on the, the that general ethos as well. I think what Kurosawa is showing us, though, is a sort of material attachment. And I don't think you can separate anything in Gondo's life from the latter scenes where Gondo is in the house and they're auctioning everything. And you hear that clock and the clock has a little tag on that says up for auction. And that's when all that which is material and his 
vanishes. And I think Kurosawa is pointing to this sort of opulence as something that is not to be contained or controlled, that ends up containing or controlling us. And in the end, we can see Gondo as a hero because he does have the ability to kind of give this up to save the life of his driver, which is essentially an underling, right? It's somebody he's responsible to in a style or, or social circumstance that reflects more what we see in the Seven Samurai or something like that, a, a more traditional structure. And so while I agree with you, Nick, and I also think this kind of, the this sort of skepticism about capitalism in Japan is not something I share. I don't, I don't share Kurosawa's opinion with this, but I don't care because I think Kurosawa does it quite beautifully. And I think he does it beautifully in a way, which I really hate with Parasite, where everybody's kind of a stereotype. Gondo is not. Gondo is a person who is not simply um, the embodiment of the Western influence on Japan or, or something like that. He's a, he's a man. And what he suffers is something that we respect him for, but it's an honest suffering. And his way back up is, you know, we hopefully, hopefully it's good. But um, I, I think he's a person who's been humbled by that experience. Um, and I think it, is revealed in his revealed as well in his conversation with the kidnapper where um the kidnapper wants gondo to hate him and gondo seems perplexed but like why would i want you to die why would i take pleasure in this there's something um there's something deeply human about him and i think that's what makes him such a compelling character and that's what makes the high and low of this movie, the up and the down, the, the economic inequality and whatnot, simply a stereotypical beat the rich type thing that we see in Parasite. It's far more grounded in these people and in things very often we can't explain. Well, let's talk about the title a little bit, High and Low. So in Japan, the title was better translated to Heaven and Hell, which I think is a much better title, right? Gondo was living in heaven from the kidnapper's perspective. The kidnapper said he was living in hell, but when he go when they go down Dope Alley or whatever they called the that's uh, hell. Holy moly! You realize there, there's levels here, right? There are absolute levels, and I think Kurosawa explores them incredibly, and I don't think he judges them very much. Yeah, uh, he's he's a little angry at the the kidnapper. The kidnapper is heartless, and Kurosawa does certain things like having the kidnapper. Um, so at the point of kidnapper for the audience, this is towards the end when the kidnapper buys dope to experiment on a drug addict <laughs> Awful, to see, if, right? yeah, to see if he could kill a drug addict. So he goes to a drug addict area, a dope alley, and sees these like zombie people mm. who are just kind of living half alive in this alley, oh. waiting for drugs. It's, it's... And he, he adds this noise that is just whispering the whole time that they're there, and there's this whisper that's just happening left and right. Left and right. It's it's one of the creepiest, coolest scenes I've ever yeah. seen. Yeah, but through the whole scene and even the dance, the kidnapper is wearing glasses, mm. so it gives him a kind of an alien aspect, right? We yeah, can't see his eyes specifically. Yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. sunglasses. Excuse me. Yeah, sunglasses. Yep. So we can't see his eyes. So I think he's a little harsher on him. But even there, at the end, when he breaks down and cries in the jail cell, there's a sort of he's. It's not so much he's a monster. He's just misformed by the circumstance but i think you're right i think like nobody it's it's heaven and hell but nobody is nobody is bereft of their humanity even the kidnapper is a sort of 
deformed human, but he's a human of circumstance, right? And not just a stereotype also. The only thing that doesn't add up about the villain or the kidnapper is he's an intern or something at yes. the at mm-hmm. the at a medical facility, presumably on track to become a doctor. A doctor. Mm-hmm. I and agree. I, you know, I don't, I don't know. Maybe in the '60s, doctors. Maybe in the '60s in Japan, doctors aren't what they are in the U.S. today. No, that was. But he's all... still just an intern. Like, like that's he's on the track someone... to be a doctor, right? Like that's... in five years, a little plus, maybe you have air conditioning, yeah. man. Like it, it was a little weird. Yeah, that is pointed out in a lot of the critical literature. Um, part of what Kurosawa is responding to this is, I should mention, based on an American novel called *King's Ransom*, which oh. is a, a far I don't want to say dumber book, but that's what that's what came to me. It's it's a far less subtle book, let's say. And the kidnappers are just kind of blue collar pieces of crap. Um, this was an interesting thing because um, what was going on in Japan at this time was actually a spate of kidnappings. So there's a lot of high, high profile kidnappings, including in the 1950s, a kidnapping of a, a famous comedian's child for I think like 2 million yen or something like that. Um, And part of what happened with kidnapping is I think the maximum penalty was like five or seven years. And this movie in part is a, is pointing a finger at the leanness of the penalties Mm. for kidnapping, which had become a big thing in the post-world years. Very often the children were killed. Mm. They'd get the money and they would kill the children. Um, There's actually a kidnapping that happened about a month after this movie came out and the kidnapper had seen the movie right before the kidnapping. Mm. The kidnapper also murdered the, the child. Um, and I think that kidnapper was actually a dentist. So he was a little more well-to-do. What a happy yeah. episode we have here today. <laughs> yeah, but it, that was, as people have pointed it out, there was a critic who pointed, I don't remember the name of the critic, but the critic pointed out that, yeah, actually people in Japan mentioned that. Like, this guy's going to do pretty well very soon. Like, why is he kidnapping most kidnappers are are blue collar or unemployed um and i think it throws a little more mystery into what is inspiring this man to behave as he does what's his psyche like maybe there's more to it there's something disturbed about him yeah it's not just the money right it's not just that there's Mm -hmm. an anger at the circumstances of the world and that's yeah i I think his uh, status as medical intern highlights that so another thing I want to talk about, the I, I watched this movie twice. I, I'd seen it kind of recently, and then again for, for this episode. The ending scene, the first time I watched it, didn't feel good to me. The scene with um, Gondo and the kidnapper in the jail uh, going back and forth. But this time it hit perfectly. And I didn't notice this the first time, but the whole that whole sequence, you can almost always see both of them. Mm-hmm. Because the reflection of the face of the other one is right next to um, the other one. And I thought that was another cool way to have the high and low sitting mm-hmm. right next to each other. If Gondo at that point still represents the high mm-hmm. um, or the heaven and hell, maybe again, that might be a better if Gondo still represents heaven and the kidnapper represents a hell, you could you just saw them r- like almost imposed on each other. It was mm-hmm. another really cool camera trick and i don't usually like those kind of camera tricks but it worked great here yeah that that's a that whole scene is gorgeous um they they become aspects of one another we see gondo who is on the point of tears for this man um we see takayuchi who is determined to 
not break down, break down, and yet still never give a justification. Um, it's an interesting thing. It's it's like it is anger at at circumstance that is so deep that it becomes your personality, and that's that ends up being the hell at the end. It isn't just the circumstance; it's the internal deformity that the circumstance creates. And yeah, I, I agree. Watching them imposed upon one another as as if they're in intri- if they're linked without ever really being able to be severed right this man is always going to be part of gondo um he's going to be part of that man's autobiography and he's you know uh, a takuchi right that's a kidnapper's name takuchi is um correct me if i'm wrong that yeah takuchi uh takuchi is is now going to die in order to try in the end to humiliate or harm gondo it's just a representative of this circumstance. Yeah, watching them imposed upon one another is excellent. And watching that last shot where Takeuchi's taken away, and we see Gondo from behind. We don't see his response as the the gate closes that separates them off. It's yeah, really, really great. The original ending was him going back and speaking with the chief investigator. Gondo going back and speaking with the chief investigator. And um, they filmed that scene, but it ended up being cut because... Uh, Kurosawa thought this is a better ending. Yeah, I mentioned KJ and I were talking offline about that. I was saying he liked that ending so much that he changed what he was going to do. Mm. Now, I, I can't end this episode without us talking about Toshiro Mifune. Mm. Would this movie still been as strong if he wasn't the main character? Gondo! Because I really like this actor from other Kurosawa films, specifically the Ronin or the Samurai in Yojimbo, Sanjuro. Uh, th- those are really good. And it's the same actor. He's in Throne of Blood. He's he's in a lot. Yeah. Rashomon. He is excellent. But I wanted to hear your guys' thoughts on that because I don't know if I'm biased just because I like this guy so much from other things. I, I He was amazing in this. And I think what Tom was saying before that Gondo felt like a man, not like a caricature or, not, or even a character, a part of that is the script giving him a lot um, of backs, not a lot of backstory, but a, a really good feeling backstory. But a lot of that was uh, Mifune. I did not recognize him the first time I watched this. And then when oh, I read it really? was Mifune, I thought they had it wrong. I'm like, oh, they're just assuming he's in all of Kurosawa's movies. They just copy him. <laughs> <laughs> but he was, he was great in this. He's assertive. That's what we see. We see him like... A- you know, he has this kind of vitality, this sort of energy, even when he's showering. Now, one scene where he's showering and he puts on the bathrobe and he gets to run out and get the, like, he showers with this, like, energy, you know, he wipes that water off of it um, and, and goes out there. And it's watching this man who is, who is, you know, like, Ilan Vital. He's, he's just, he is the, the, the center and the energy in any room he's in. Um, in the end, sit quietly with the inexplainable and watch with tears what cannot be explained become human to him is is a lovely thing um to watch that that arc and it's really interesting too the movie structured um it starts off with this kind of kidnapping thing and then it becomes a police procedural Mm -hmm. like there was one scene where it's like it's a 10 minute scene where they just discuss the evidence the police they all sit around and discuss the evidence it's i i looked it up it was seven percent of the movie was that (laughs) one scene it's another great scene though yeah it's great they're all great another scene where you see the sweat of the summer and the (laughs) heat that everybody's going through 
Um, and then another really long scene uh, is is the dance scene. The mm-hmm. dance scene is incredibly it's long. Oh, it, and it's incredibly long, but it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous he starts shooting time. with the glass. You see that building from the or the inside that room from the glass ceiling, mm-hmm. and so you don't exactly know what you're looking at when you're first in that room. It becomes, and then he fills space. Like he's able to, Kurosawa's able to stack characters in spaces, but he's also able to just collapse them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that that dancing is one where there's collapsing them. Another one is when we see Takeuchi's house, his apartment or whatever, mm-hmm. and he's trying to take that money out. We're so close, we cannot see the whole prop of the the suitcase with the money. Um, but yeah, but but I, I think I just brought that up. It's like, you know, you have this really famous actor who's really controlling the scene, and then Kurosawa has the kind of the bravery to let him go. The second half of the movie, he's gone, mm-hmm. and we move on. Um, and I think the you know, that's where we kind of are introduced to the kidnapper when we see the um, it might have been Takora, the, the main police inspector, or maybe it was some people who work for him. But we see them walk along the canal. And that's when you first see the kidnapper in the dirty water of the canal. Oh. Uh, that's when you ah. first see him. And so it's I kind of like that. as we're moving. Oh, yeah, yeah. The- and then they, oh. they go over to him. Yes. Yeah. Yep. As we're yep. moving into the low, that's where you kind of say goodbye to the high. Mm-hmm. And we say goodbye to the highs, the, the symbol of the high, which is Mifuni. Um, and then we move into the, the low. And it's like, it's, we first see the low through a filthy canal water, like the shadow of him from behind and this filthy water. And I, I just, I love that sort of very distinct, like section break, new section here, <laughs> how they did that. Um, yeah. It's also apparently was a very clean canal and they spent a lot of time trying to make it dirty. <laughs> like it was just like a big problem trying to make this thing look dirty. <laughs> Well, I'd like to once again congratulate our own Mifune, Tom. I'm very vital. <laughs> it's true, audience. <laughs> that is high praise, actually, if he's calling you that. <laughs> you can rate and review this show anywhere podcasts are available. For those viewing in YouTube land, if you haven't already, please like this video, subscribe to the Talking Studios channel for all our exciting content, and follow us on Twitter at Talking Studios. Check out other shows by Talking Studios, including Keep Making Movies, where we explore micro-budget films, Limited Lexicon, where we play through text-based adventure games, and Get the Point, where we slowly reveal a movie poster and try to guess which movie poster it is. Got a question for us? Call the Talking Studios hotline at 201-467-8679 and leave a message. It may be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Talking Pictures Trivia wherever fine podcasts are found. Join us next time when we discuss Some Like It Hot from 1959. Stay tuned for our first impressions of Some Like It Hot. Ding, 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 ding. Next week, we'll be discussing Some Like It Hot from 1959. KJ, how was your watch? It was lovely. This was a great movie. Audience, grab some popcorn or whatever your favorite snack for a movie is. If you need suggestions, listen to season one. Tom, bread, you know, Mm -hmm. butter, (laughs) knife. I love bread. (laughs) It's the perfect movie snack. Wait for a, a rainy afternoon. 
and and sit down and watch some like it hot. It is wacky. It is wonderful. Um, Jack Lemon is in it. He's great. Marilyn Monroe is in it. I don't know if you've seen Blonde, but it was it was a little tough to watch. Poor poor Miss Monroe. Um, but I actually watched this on the living room TV, guys. Here it is on the living room TV, not just on my phone. Uh, I was sitting on the floor. The dog crawled up and fell asleep in my lap. It was it was an absolutely lovely time. One of those movies that makes you want to watch more movies. How about you, Nick? How was your watch? I also thoroughly enjoyed this film. I had no expectations going into it. I've just been going through this giant list of movies, and it was on there and available on a, a streaming service. Uh, that I have. <laughs> so I said, Hey, let me, let me put that on. And again, I knew nothing about it. And I was so pleasantly surprised. I enjoyed every bit of it from the Chicago shenanigans all the way down to Florida, which is definitely California. Um, my wife actually recognized the resort <laughs> that it was filmed at from when she was traveling out there at some point, apparently. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a great time. It doesn't have to make sense. It, it, it can be goofy. The whole thing. All of them are great. Tony Curtis, Jack Lemon, and Marilyn Monroe. I think this was also later in Marilyn Monroe's career. I have to say that you know she didn't have a very long life, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, it's it was an interesting watch, and I, I it really kind of shocked me though the subject matter back then. I always think they were simpler times and maybe more prudish, but they, they went there in a, a variety of films. And in fact, another one by Jack Lemmon, The Apartment's kind of out there, but I'll, I'll save that for another time. Tom, what were your thoughts? Was it the Hotel del Coronado? I think is the, where they filmed. I believe you're right. Yeah, yeah. I I enjoy this. I Billy Wilder is not what you would call a subtle director. And this is not a subtle movie. And it gets very very close to the vulgar without ever going over i think the the pleasure of it is that that's sort of uh, almost dangerous gaudy not particularly i would say respectful of any kind of sense humor that goes through this movie um we watch jack lemon's character become like <laughs> almost come fully into a woman for no other reason than somebody shows him kind of sexual interest. Uh, and so it's it's like this delightful transformation that he goes through. Um, the characters are behave badly. They um, they're wonderful together. Marilyn Monroe is <laughs> um, uh, what would you call it? Delightfully spacey, I would say, in, in her role as Sugar. And the movie does have these like big acts. It starts in Chicago and that scene goes on for a little while until you hit the St. Valentine's Day massacre and then moves into Florida and, and kind of all that stuff. A lot of the plot mechanics don't exactly make sense when you try to think about them. But thinking about the plot mechanics is a little goofy of a thing to do in a movie like this. Um, I, I do think it is a big open naked delight that's a good time some like it hot is available on max at the time of this recording wow talking studios okay we got to watch a movie and talk about it well fortunately we already watched the movie one would hope <laughs> It had its highs and lows. Uh, 
Thank Same you. for the episode. Thank God we're recording. <laughs> Thank God. Cut <laughs> <laughs> <About> that gem. <laughs> um, so we'll bring it back. Do you want me to? Do you want me to throw it back to you, Nick, and keep talking about the house on the hill? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> we'll bring it back and throw it to you, Tom. <laughs> So how did I win all these episodes that I wasn't on? We just always had you on. (laughs) We refuse to acknowledge a different reality. (laughs) Unless the guest won, then we say you tied. We didn't have that many guests, though. There we go. There we go. I'll take it. Yeah. I like to imagine when you retire, you'll go back and watch all those movies and listen to those episodes. But then I think... no. (laughs) <laughs> i'll go back and watch all the movies i don't know if i'm going to go back and listen to all the episodes that's a lot of content that's not very endorsing <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know we were still recording <laughs> we have two reviews for our podcast a my daughter it's good to fall asleep with b nick he's not gonna go back and listen 